Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Chaba. I'm Cheesy. I'm Gino. And I'm Zerar. Uh, you walk into a, a team and then you break them the news. Guys, we are going to do continuous delivery. But before you do that, you might need to have some conversations with uh, other folks uh, who are outside of the team or maybe some maybe a scrum master or, or anybody else who is non-technical. How do you guys start this conversation? I would start that uh, without a technical lens uh, period. Uh, I, I would actually start that conversation. And I, and I have started that conversation in the past with some sort of objective that we are trying to achieve. And that is why we are doing continuous delivery. So I never frame continuous delivery as necessarily the goal, but I set it as a tool which can achieve certain outcomes. In my later spiel, when I had to, had to do this, the angle that I took at that time was, we want to enable our product people to get very, very fast feedback from the market. And right now, the product people are not able to do that. They have to wait for you know six, seven weeks before something they develop is actually in front of users. And we want to shorten that lead time. And, and then I kind of sprinkle in some concepts like lean startup and all that, which people are more or less familiar with, which helps them sort of make the connection on why we might be able to do this. So uh, if, if you find some sort of a business objective or some sort of some sort of a goal that you are trying to achieve, focus on that goal and frame continuous delivery as a path to achieve that goal, not the goal itself. So uh, just to amplify what, what Zarar said, uh, the way that I do this very frequently is talk about how rapidly can we learn. You know, in our traditional sense, we we don't get that learning for quite some time. And, and so continuous delivery is really about trying to accelerate that learning, for, uh, number one. And then something else that I often have conversations with non-technical people about, which is that so often, uh, there, there are a lot of studies that have been uh, performed that, that show that a lot of software that is developed or delivered is rarely used uh, or, or, in some cases, never used. And that I think that's kind of a, a result of the fact of approaching software where we assume that we know what the user wants. And so, again, the learning, uh, approaching it in a little bit different perspective or approaching it from a perspective that I'm not sure what they want, but I have an idea and then try to accelerate the learning to confirm, are we doing the right thing or not? And so that's kind of how I would go about explaining that. So first of all, the, the learning, I, I just want to add there that it's not just learning about the product. It's also learning about how we solve that particular problem. It's also learning about the technology stack that we work with and so forth. So it's all, all that learning. So uh, both Sarari and Cheesy, uh, what you guys said is, is absolutely true. I would offer an alternative approach as well, though, um, that, that takes it entirely away from continuous delivery as, as even a tool and, uh, and look at um, at how the team works today and what people's role is is in that and basically ask them, okay, so what are the things that are annoying you most about this work? What are the things that, that frustrate you, that, that, that have uh, proved to be challenging? So if, we, if you know that, then we can start figuring out, okay, so how can we now square that with, with continuous delivery? What are the tools that we're getting from continuous delivery that might help us uh, get rid of some of those annoyances. 
uh, one of the, the most typical questions that I that I heard uh, uh, being asked is, okay, uh, this sounds good, but what is this going to cost us? Have you guys uh, faced this question before? Not necessarily cost us from a financial perspective, but what does it take to get us there? Because when you when you kind of lay out what continuous delivery is about, and you talk about, I mean, you know, if, if you look at it as a spectrum, you know, on the on the deep end of the spectrum, you probably have something like every commit goes to production right away, and and that has a tendency to scare a lot of people off, and they go, well, well, it would take a lot to get there because our process today is so different than what you're describing that it it almost seems impossible. That that has been the reaction that I have gotten uh, many times, and to counter that, uh, I always try to s- s- frame it as as a step by step process where that is our end, where we want to be at the end, but that's not necessarily how we're going to start. And you can lay out a path from where you are today to that end state in in a methodical way, which kind of resonates with people. And one very effective technique is to take some of the pains that the team is currently experiencing and make them go away. So one recent example was people uh, on one of the teams that I was uh, working with had a real issue with manual publishing of packages to their repository. And so what we did was, okay, okay, that's a redundant step we can automate away. So we focused on that and that kind of improved their process and moved us one step forward uh, towards continuous delivery. So that's kind of been my approach sometimes. Yeah, when when we're talking about the cost, there there are a, a few elements here, uh, you know, that we have to think about. Uh, that there is cost associated with acquiring some of the new skills that that might be necessary, or making changes to the infrastructure that might be necessary to get to there. So there absolutely is some cost associated with that, but at the same time, we can also have conversations about how continuous delivery reduces costs, you know, in that, for example, you don't need uh, test environments. You know, there's no need to have a QA or a UAT or anything like that. So there's savings in hardware. Uh, We don't need to have uh, as many checks. Uh, In other words, the teams that that I've worked with often don't have QA folks. So there might be some small savings there. Uh, if we start to talk about some of the risks that are associated with the traditional approach, you know, then we can start to talk about how, well, there, there are costs, but there also is uh, a huge reduction in risk in order to get there. Oh, and, and one additional cost just came to my mind just, just right now, which is that, you know, there's also the cost of building the wrong thing that, that, that continuous delivery hopefully, uh, helps us, uh, overcome. So, I think at least the teams and the areas and the organizations that I've worked with, once we have gotten there, uh, they have unanimously believed that that the approach that we're taking is is far less costly, uh, and that the risk is far lower, and that the overall satisfaction of both the development teams and the satisfaction of the uh, customers is, is higher. I personally think that the cost of introducing continuous delivery is a little bit of a moot point, though. Um, it's very true that the investment in, in some of that infrastructure and so forth to get there will cost something that, that's only normal. But really, if that's over a period of time, as uh, as there are explained, uh, improving bit by bit, then that cost is not all front-loaded. It is really expended over a, a longer period of time. And the benefits that you get along the way from the small incremental investments that you make are 
so significant that 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 uh, would outweigh the, the costs very early on. So I think it's a moot point because as soon as you start uh, going on that journey, people very quickly see uh, what the payback is of the investment that you make. What what are the reactions when you introduce continuous delivery in, into any setup is fear uh, because they actually think this this thing that we are introducing is harder than it actually is. So maybe there's some sort of a myth or some sort of association with continuous delivery which says, oh, not in my organization. In my organization, this it's totally not possible to do that because of some process. And that is such a myth because once you even go a little deep, like not even like a deep dive analysis, just if you ask a few questions on what's preventing people from you know, decreasing their lead time a little here or increasing their deployment frequency, it's not much. It's all challenges that are more or less fairly easily surmountable as long as you have a little bit of political will. So if you even have a little bit of political will and a little bit of motivation, a lot of the things that appear difficult about continuous delivery from a technical perspective or from a process perspective are, are just overstated and can can go away fairly easily. We like to think in terms of MVP when we talk about a, a product. Uh, what do you guys think are are the the minimum viable prerequisites to be able to to get started? So if you are talking to a leader and the leader is will ask you, okay, so what what do we absolutely need that that without that we cannot start? What would be that that list? First on my list would be desire, you know, and and willingness. Uh, th- in other words, there. They, there truly is a desire to get there and they have a reason why they want to be there. And then the willingness aspect of it is willing to be able to make the changes, both potentially structurally, but even more important politically to uh, allow it to happen. So I think that is the fundamental prerequisite from my perspective. Anything technical? No, really, because we really have a... The journey to continuous delivery is introducing new uh, technology, new approaches, um, potentially just improving the the approaches that you're already using to some degree. Since we're introducing those or we're improving the approaches that there are, I I totally agree with Cheesy. If there is a willingness to look yourself in the mirror and and to to try to do something about this, then, then there's really nothing else blocking you from moving forward. I'd say, and this is a pretty generic answer to this question, is safety, psychological safety and the and the safety to actually mess up a little bit. Because the first time you're doing anything, you probably will learn a lot. You probably will make a few mistakes. So if you have, and this goes back to the kind of the political goodwill that I talked about earlier, because if you have that, then you're more forgiving of the mistakes that a team sometimes makes. Uh, so I think if, if the team has a playground where they're able to actually experiment a little bit and if they if they make a few mistakes it's okay they can learn from it and i'm not talking about i just want to be clear i'm not talking about like ship garbage to production mistakes you know i'm talking about like small you know mistakes here and there in a non-prod setting that, that that's what i think is absolutely needed if you want to start something like this there has to be some um uh, basic practices that i find that that the, the, the team or the organization needs to follow, such as testing, for example, automation, automated testing. Anything else that you guys can think of that's such a, such a basic thing that we all assume but, but yet doesn't exist everywhere? Well, to get started, even I think maybe the automation doesn't necessarily have to be as concrete as you might think. 
So uh, there, there are some other basic things that, that need to be there in order to finally end up there. Things like, for example, automated deployments, things like, you know, uh, 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 a good way of knowing and understanding what is in each deployment or each release to a specific environment. I think there's good source code management practices that, that are kind of essential. You know, I can go right down the list of things that, that, that you're going to need to have in place in order to achieve continuous de- delivery. But, uh, but uh, from my experience, most teams, whenever they decide that they want to head that direction, don't have all these quite worked out yet. And part of the, the journey to get there is figuring those out. Exactly. And sometimes even in introducing them, right? Because I've worked with uh, teams, believe it or not, in, in the year 2020 that uh, did not have source code management. Uh, so the first step there obviously is uh, introducing source code management, introducing practices um, that allow them to work together in a team without uh, overriding each other's code and so forth. Uh, instead of sharing, uh, saving it on a shared drive, uh, I have seen that in in, in this uh, day and age. Uh, Zarar, uh, in your experience, what are the the most typical blockers in this particular case? So you come you come in, or the team would like to do something like that, and what what should they be prepared for? Usually, one of the blockers is your pipeline, because most pipelines maybe are not mature enough to handle some of the asks that continuous delivery makes of you. And, and maybe a better way of saying that is the, the the pipeline is so centralized that whatever changes that need to be made to it to enable continuous delivery are hard to make. So you struggle a lot with that. But if you if you're a team that has some sort some semblance of control or influence over how your code actually goes from like local host to your environment and you can define some of the steps in between there, I think you're already on a good trajectory to getting there. But if you don't have that, then then you you maybe have to fight some battles or 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 you know, again, it goes back to that political will really. It's the third time I'm saying this, but if you have that, it can uh, offset a lot of these uh, blockers that you mentioned, Chopper. The only thing that I would say is prepare the team for for being ready to take ownership, for being ready to actually take a stand and um, and be responsible for the technological choices that are made in order to make this happen. They have business consequences, positive ones. They have technical consequences, also positive ones. But you need to take a stand as a technical team that you're not just an order taker, but that you... Uh, are there because you understand how technology works and that you uh, are the specialist in that particular uh, in that particular case that's what you need to stand up for and this concludes today's continuous delivery podcast thank you <laughs>